Hi, this is Stephanie Watson. Welcome to another Throwbacks episode of Gen X Replays After the Show podcast. In Throwbacks, my friend Frankie Hagen and I chat about a topic from film, TV, toys, and trends that heavily influenced us as Gen Xers. And while we center on that topic, we let the conversation flow to our broader Gen X experiences. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode where we talk about how we first experienced Star Wars. So we are going to fit into this podcast what is considered to be one of the most key and major parts of our generation in terms of a touchstone. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way to really fit this in one episode, especially for people who are fans. It's true. Uh, but, But we are going to attempt to at least talk about our earliest memories of Star Wars. We'll start there and see where it goes. Yeah, you know, I think contextually from the Gen X brand, it's important to say that this is something that, you know, colors so many different parts of who we are. And yeah. Yeah, and it gets into so many parts of, uh, of uh, the subcultures and the, and, and the collector's markets and, you know, just pop culture in general. You yeah. know, I think maybe the millennials have Harry Potter that way to some extent, mm-hmm. you know, following up, following us up. But for us, this was, this was it. This is what you had, you know, mm-hmm. at that point in time, everything else was a pale comparison. <laughs> right. I like to tell people these days, if they don't know my age or they ask, ask my age, I will say I'm older than Star Wars. And I get mixed reactions. Some people are like, oh, that's cool. And some people are like, oh, really? No way, you're that old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, how do you remember being exposed to it from the beginning? So let's, so thinking about it, I, uh, so I was born in 73. When the first film came out in 77, uh, I would have been, four i would have just turned four actually because all three of the original films were released in may uh after my birthday oh so it was i probably would not have if we did go to the movies i have no memory of actually going to the movies to see the first film i'll be honest um however when kenner produced the action figures a year later uh and they produced the action figures from 78 to 85 uh i did have some of the first action figures and uh i I do remember playing with them and i remember having seen the movie they're associated with but i may not have seen it in theaters when it came out if that makes sense it does i may have seen it after in some capacity i think my experience is the same I remember the toys before I remember really internalizing the film. Right. And, you know, I remember being very small with the first run of action figures and having like my first little action figure case and, you know, and playing with those like on furniture in my family's house. I I remember uh, my grandma, my, uh, my mother's mother, uh, her apartment, I, clearly remember playing with them in her apartment as like a child you know like you know like on your knees in front of a couch using the couches 
your terrain. Yes. The, the stand-up base. And I remember very seriously, like, telling her the names of each one of the action figures. And when I got to Chewbacca, my grandmother would say, oh, like chewing tobacco. And I just remember it upsetting me <laughs> so much that yeah. she was not saying it the correct way. <laughs> I, I made that association when I was much younger because I did hear it pronounced, you know, tobacco, yeah. you know. Uh, it's so funny. Growing uh, up in North Carolina, tobacco was, you know, a frequently discussed topic for sure. That's true. Yeah, I, you know, and then it's like, I think the first film, my memories of it personally are probably from seeing it in people's homes. Mm -hmm. I remember growing up in Cary, I remember uh, when people had the very first VCRs and people had probably paid like $100 or $120 to own a copy of Star Wars wow. or something like that. You know, I remember at that point in time seeing it a couple of times to friends who, who had either rented it or one family whose dad had a VCR who had actually purchased it and that was like a thing. So all the boys wow. would like pile into that attic room and watch it. And then I remember being at a, a themed birthday party where someone had rented it when they were still renting beta videotapes. Oh, nice. Wow. That was back in the day. Yeah, no, I know, right? So it's, it's so... That one I remember very well, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I remember seeing Jedi in the theater. Yeah, yeah. But I, you know, I feel like my experience with Empire when I was really young was I saw it once mm -hmm. at that point in time. And I don't think I saw it in the theater. I think it's one of those ones that eventually I saw it because someone had it, you know, on a, on a recording. Until, of course, much later when in the zeitgeist, those are movies that all of us have seen 40, 50, 60 times. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I do recall um, having seen both of the first two films, which we now call A New Hope and uh, Empire Strikes Back. And when I was, you know, approaching seven, eight years old, would have been at the time where the third film was out and people were watching it but I distinctly remember that other people I was going to school with were seeing this movie and I wasn't right uh, so they had all this new knowledge about a new movie and new characters and Ewoks and stuff and I had no knowledge of those things because I had not seen the film um, I want to say, though, see, my, my dad's company, I distinctly remember, would rent out uh, a movie theater and have a family day where families would go in and watch a movie together, and, and that would include all, all the kids, and I want to say that that's how I saw the films, uh, or at least one of the films. Um, one of the first two but the third movie I didn't see till later on into the 80s actually I don't even know when probably after we had had cable tv uh which wouldn't have been until 82 83 um so because then they would put those films out on the yeah. uh, on the cable movie channels and stuff yeah, I know my family was never a big go to the movie theater kind of family. Yeah, same. As a family, 
so, you know, and a lot of it I think was from like religious convictions from my parents, that kind of thing. Mm, uh, but, but, you know, like I would do the, the theaters used to have these like kids camps, you know, where you would go see like kids movies, Yeah, you know, like, yeah. you know, it was kind of like a built-in babysitter kind of thing that parents <laughs> would sign children up for. And I remember doing those kind of things, mm-hmm. you know, I had a babysitter who kept us really involved. And I remember she was the person that my brother and I went and saw Jedi with when it came out. Mm-hmm. All right. Not all right. necessarily my parents, but you know, everything else I think probably came through the experience of cable television as well, you mm-hmm. know? And, and then just the fact that the Star Wars toys were so overpowering at that point in time, mm-hmm. you know, being a child back when the Sears catalog was still a thing. Yes. Yes. You know, yes. Wow. Talk about a generation who will never appreciate what it was like <laughs> to get the Sears catalog and to like <laughs> go to the section of the toys and things like that and just like page after page. And you would <laughs> see like how they would have all the Star Wars toys like staged like scenes from the movie. Mm-hmm. I remember like when Jedi, when um, Empire came out, they would have like these like crystally looking things all around whatever the Hoth play sets were, mm-hmm. you know, to really make it look cool. And your knowledge of the uh, context wasn't very good as a child, mm-hmm. but you know, the toys looked fun. And yeah, yeah, I specifically remember that kind of magic aspect to it that later toy runs like uh, G.I. Joe or Transformers would capitalize on the same sort of uh, excitement and energy. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, that was, it was such a special part of it. And, you know, and there were novels and things that went along with it that came out at that time that as you got a little older, there wasn't a ton of licensed fiction, but I remember specifically the Splinter of the Mind's Eye novel that would Mm -hmm. would show up early when they weren't sure if they were gonna get the budget for the sequels. Mm -hmm. So Alan Dean Foster was authorized by George Lucas to write that as like a soft, cheaper sequel if that's what they had to do. Right. And I remember the Brian Daly Han Solo novels that came out. I, yeah, I never did read those, but I remember them coming out. I read some of his other sci-fi and I read that stuff early on just because of like most young boys fascination with Han Solo mm. and the whole thing like post empire, you know, those like when I was like at that age where I was just going to start devouring paperbacks, if someone gave them to me, mm-hmm. those were some of the first that I purchased, you know, like that. And there was a series of Lando Calrissian novels that came out about that time that mm-hmm. were not that good. I remember. Uh. Like uh, reading them the same way, but those were the thing. It was, there was those six novels and the splinter of the mind's eye. And really that was kind of it for a while as far as additional Star Wars fiction, you know, and Marvel comics had the Star Wars comics. And when I was very young, I hadn't become the comic book nerd that I became much, you know, as I got older, much later in life. (laughs) Yeah. The church I went to in Cary, that was off of uh, Walnut Street that uh, is now no longer even there. I think it's a fast food place. Right <laughs> across from it was a fast fair. For those mm. of you who remember fast fairs. I remember and, fast uh, fair, yeah. And after a church service, a lot of the young people, we would walk over to the fast fair and if you had any like a couple of bucks or something, you would buy some candy or you would leaf through the uh, comic book rack back when you could still buy those at like a gas station, which is a Mm -hmm. thing that doesn't exist anymore either. (laughs) And 
and there would be like a video game console or two in there. I remember the Outrun video game. Yeah, yeah. Clearly being there. But, you know, I remember discovering those early Marvel comics that were associated with Star Wars at that point in time, going like, oh my God, there's Star Wars comic books. And how Mm -hmm. exciting that is. Like, oh, there's a continuation of the story. We're so spoiled now for, you know, uh, shows that give you so much content, or even Star Wars now, so much content, so much expanded stuff. But you really had a a limited selection of things you could find at that point in time Mm -hmm. while you waited between. And I think the creativity of people with their toys and and playing with things and and writing, you know, uh, fill out what some of these mysteries were, that -hmm. probably speaks to why later on when the prequels and the other sequels and things came out that people were so passionate about their opinions about how things should be. Mm-hmm. because you'd given right. them so much time to imagine it for themselves, what they felt like it should be. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you say that, because I've been thinking recently how the Han Solo movie of recent years was received negatively, uh, but not because it was a bad movie. A lot of people really liked it and thought it was a good movie, but the timing of it was weird, uh, because mm-hmm. people were used to having time to absorb Uh, a new piece of Star Wars content and like watch it over and over again and really kind of solidify what they were thinking the canon was of the story before they get a new piece. Uh, But, you know, it's, it's almost now we're getting the opposite problem than what we had back in the eighties and nineties, which was that long wait until something new came out. That's true. Mm -hmm. And a lot of different voices now are being mm-hmm. represented in it too so you you know that yeah that Han Solo maybe I actually I felt that they got the tone right of who the mm-hmm. character was very well and compared to some of the other more recent films I, I feel like it's a much more watchable movie in yeah. that it's you know for like a popcorn bubblegum you can check your brain at the door kind of movie mm-hmm. it's a very easy enjoyable movie to watch you know what i mean yeah, it's a straightforward right. sort of sort of thing whereas mm-hmm. you'll have you'll have films later like last jedi and rise of skywalker that are going to get more controversial for different reasons mm-hmm. with people yeah. in terms of what kind of messages they want to hear or say or you mm-hmm. know where, where people uh start questioning representation and those kind of things so i think it's you know, in some ways, it's it's a much more, you know, it's it's like a nice cheeseburger. It's not something too complicated that you're going to have to digest. <laughs> like, right, right, exactly. <laughs> I think I've I heard that pretty pretty much from uh, everyone I knew that uh, saw it. Um, especially, you know, whether you liked it or didn't like it, that was pretty much the consensus: is that it was an easy to watch film. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I want to go back to video games like thinking about the impact that star wars had as we grew this new genre of gaming called video games it was both on console and in the arcades what was your some some of your earliest uh gaming memories around uh star wars real arcades to start with that Mm -hmm. our generation experienced you could go to chuck e cheese and it was a proper arcade at that point in time it yeah. wasn't the garbage that it is now. If you go to a Chuck E. Cheese now, it's sad. It's all these <laughs> branded games. It's been dumbed down to a very kitty kitty level. 
mm-hmm. where that wasn't the case previously, where you had like all levels of cool video games and things going on. Now to get mm-hmm. a similar feeling, maybe a Frankie's Fun Park, maybe a Damon Buster's would sort of give you that feeling. But, yeah. you know, it's, you know, it was a proper arcade and they had the original Star Wars arcade game there where mm-hmm. you got to fly, you know, the X-Wing through the trench and they had all the, the sound clips from the movie, mm-hmm. you know, with Han Solo coming in to help you with Obi-Wan, you know, telling you to use the force. It was, you know, <laughs> all the great, you know, John Williams scores added into it. So it was very dramatic and very exciting to play. You yeah. know, and, and of course, it felt more accurate because even in the Star Wars movies, they're targeting devices in the X-Wing fighters are of Pong level. <laughs> you know, right, right. You know, so it looked accurate. But mm-hmm. it was that specifically, I remember just like being so excited to go to somebody's birthday party or something and, yes. and play that. Oh, uh, always an excuse to go play in the arcade. Yeah, that was cool. And I remember off the Atari 2600, there was the Empire Strikes Back game that came out Mm. that was really good. It like all the Atari games kind of had the same problem where you cleared a bunch of stages and then the game just kept getting faster and faster until there was you would be able to keep up and you were kind of like Lucy and Ethel at the chocolate factory. (laughs) Now was the Empire Strikes Back one the one with the asteroid field in it? No, that was the Jedi one, I think. Oh okay. They had a the two the two Atari cartridges like the Empire Strikes Back when you were in one of the speeders on Hoth. Oh. The AT-ATs were coming across the screen and it was basically you taking out AT-ATs and trying to prevent them from getting across the screen and eventually they would overpower you. Yeah, and yeah. It was cool and and the handling of the spaceship was really good for an Atari game like uh flying the little speeder around the AT-ATs. So mm-hmm. I I spent a lot of time playing that game. I would argue that's probably one of the Star Wars games I played the most. Mm-hmm. And then the Jedi game was the, them constructing the new Death Star and mm-hmm. there was a defense screen in front of it. So it was kind of vaguely a ripoff of Yara's Revenge where like you had a defense screen you had to get through with the Millennium Falcon and you were mm-hmm. fighting the other vessels. And then once you got through the defense screen, you could get in there to like try to fire into the Death Star until you blew the core up. And then the whole screen would just reset itself and you would have to start from the beginning again in terms of doing it. But both of those were excellent Atari cartridges that I I wasted lots and lots of time playing. (laughs) I remember, and and they brought it to pinball pretty quickly too, because pinball was always available in the arcades. Oh yeah, and and even though even though I did love my video games and pew pewing on the old video games, um, I I still enjoyed me some pinball too. So pinball technology, um, you know, has continued to evolve as well, and has been really fun to see. Uh, I know a lot of the the Star Wars pinballs showed up in a lot of places that I I went to in restaurants and gas stations would have one or, or something like that every once in a while you'd run into one of those if you were trying to have a place that was very themed toward the mm-hmm. Xers, i feel like at some point you'd have to have some pinball machines in there as well oh yeah, yeah. absolutely 
at that point in time. Uh, Either Star Wars or Terminator. Those were some of like the hottest ones uh, for a while. I saw a Stranger Things uh, one that someone was doing limited edition the other oh, day. And that's just wonderful. Drooled over it because I was like, oh, so appropriate. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, that's great. And as we, um, as we were playing the games, we weren't seeing new stories. Like today, we have games that are telling new stories or one-off stories. Um, and there's a story wrapped into the game itself. Um, but now, uh, or back then, we were just playing a game based on a familiar story uh, or, or some side mission that didn't have anything to do with the story. And the game was what was more important than the story when we were <laughs> playing the game, for sure. So many quarters wasted in those games. I'd say wasted, but, you know, it was worth it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, when you think of canon and how people tend to look at things that are precious to them that stick with them for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. You know? And a lot of times, I think when people become passionate about hobbies, it's potentially related to uh, control because it's like, mm-hmm. here's this thing that I can be an expert and know everything about, you know, that gives me some <laughs> level of control over the world that is scary that I can't control. Mm-hmm. And at one point in time, you know, everything is wide open within the Star Wars world, but like so many things, it's been around for a long time now. And so you have plenty of things that are official canon or that mm-hmm. used to be, but now they're not. They're the expanded universe. So they're what they call <laughs> Star Wars legends now. Yes. That are, that are, you know, not necessarily part of the official storytelling because they've been overwritten by something else or mm-hmm. changed or incorporated into a different storyline. Like mm-hmm. all of the Marvel comics are considered to be their own thing now. Completely. Right side of this the star wars canon and now they have official releases the same thing for all the novels that people read following jedi through most of the 90s i think very little if any of that is considered canon now you know and so it's it's funny like when certain things are reintroduced as canon people like lose their minds i know in the mandalorian Mm -hmm. john favreau who i consider to be one of the voices of our generation uh, yes. John Favreau introduced things that have only, as up until now, have only appeared in the Star Wars Christmas special. And he <laughs> put them in the Mandalorian and made them canon. Life Day. and <laughs> Yeah, Life Day. He made Life Day canon, which is hysterical. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, and he made uh, he, that, that, that rifle thing that the Mandalorian has. Yes. That was what Boba Fett had in the cartoon. Mm-hmm. From the the Christmas special. From the special, yeah. I've, I I want to say the beast he was riding in that cartoon also showed up or was made reference to. A lot of stuff. A lot yeah. of stuff was included that way. Like the weirdest thing about that entire uh, Christmas special mm-hmm. is the fact that Carrie Fisher sings lyrics to the Star Wars theme music. <laughs> That's yep. the Life Day song. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're equivalent of like a Christmas song. There are like lyrics and it's terrible. I mean, it's like, it's, you don't even want to think about it, but she's right. singing <laughs> over, over the thing that you never want to hear again. She was Not a trooper. Fun, 
not like Bill Murray doing it on uh, on Saturday Night Live. You know, mm-hmm. like this is this is something totally different. So, yeah. yeah. And thinking back to that time, I you know those characters, the the core characters, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo. Darth Vader, even C-3PO and R2-D2 to a certain extent, were major influences on our culture in a broader sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there were a lot of stronger heroic females coming out in the 70s, but Princess Leia stands out uh, because she was what I, I what I've heard many people call the self-saving princess <laughs> like she was the one who could pretty much save herself given the opportunity uh, so you know it changed uh, the damsel in distress into a potential hero and uh, yeah she had and, an a leader yeah you know I, I, I question whether or not I should say mouthy but she kind of had mm. that kind of like sharp witted kind of kind of thing that wasn't always apparent and Mm -hmm. I think at the same time too you know I started to touch on it when I mentioned canon but Mm -hmm. you know one of the things George Lucas does with the original storytelling is he does a very carefully crafted version of the hero's journey which is what we get through mythology and uh, and uh, so many so many different ways that like legends that have already been told that regardless of how you're telling the story and what the content is, there's a certain amount of truth to what's being told because you're using these really like broad strokes from from history and from uh, from legend, and you're creating a certain type of format of a story that you know Star Wars itself, the original film at its basis, is a couple of guys rescuing a princess from a castle. <laughs> you know, right, exactly. Right. It's very it's a very straightforward story with really good toys and marketing. Yeah. <laughs> and a great theme and a great score. But at the same time you get the progression of the characters who are kind of fi- fulfilling these uh these arcs for this science fantasy. Mm-hmm. And uh and you know and you get you're getting a lot of uh clever progressive approaches the different characters at the same time, which yeah. I think is very inspiring for a lot of people because it certainly, it certainly wasn't Buck Rogers. It, it certainly wasn't the, uh, the sci-fi that had mm-hmm. been previous. And it was very much a melding of uh, a lot mm-hmm. of science fiction and fantasy ideas. At its core, he's, has, he has admitted Flash Gordon was the core of, uh, influence for Star Wars. But there's definitely, like you said, a lot of sci-fi that, that lent itself to yeah. how he produced lot, that, and like a lot of westerns, he was he was taken a lot from like uh, mm. the samurai the samurai movies. Yes, absolutely. To uh, to a lot of the Kurosawa stuff is all over Star Wars, and if you've read Dune, you can see how massively Dune influenced George Lucas, especially with the mm. first movie, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff in Dune that's a lot harder, you know, and probably a lot more political that he kind of gives you a watered down version in Star Wars that's mm-hmm. not that in your face. You know, the mm-hmm. character, you know, that's uh, kind of a Darth Vader character in Dune is a little bit of a child molester and all yeah. this other stuff that you get. Yeah. It's a way darker, you know? Yes. And, yes. It's, and there's a lot of the Dune plot line that I think is very sanitized into what we get as far as Star Wars goes. Mm, that's true. 
you know, right down to the desert world and a lot of these illusions. So he was obviously influenced by a lot of the uh, science fiction that the boomers were going to be influenced by at that point in time mm -hmm. to, to create something new, mm -hmm. you know, and, and to give us like an actual arc. I don't think, you know, I think there's definitely the fact that they didn't completely know where they were going in mm -hmm. certain places in time, you know, in some aspects of it being more completist. Like there's a lot of people who complain that, you know, in Return of the Jedi, we should have seen Wookiees instead of Ewoks to kind of like, you know, fully finish out the arc a little bit more that was already started. Yeah. In the, in I could understand that. Yeah. In the first movies. But, you know, it's like a lot of people who have uh, criticisms, I think, of uh, Last Jedi mm -hmm. right now. You know, a lot of it, I think, you know, The Last Jedi makes a lot of bold moves in terms of uh, empowering female characters and including mm -hmm. uh, minorities and, and different types of people. And mm -hmm. I think while all those are positives, my only criticism of that movie would be that it strays away from completing the arc of the fact that that's the Skywalker saga and that's what we're actually trying to complete. Mm-hmm. And that all those elements would be fine. But, you know, if you're looking at the whole Skywalker saga as finishing out a specific story about a specific family and mm -hmm. getting that done, that would be my criticism. Mm. That, 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 you know, all that would be good, but couldn't we have moved that over, you know, and, <laughs> and done it where that way we can actually focus on the main plot line and just get it mm -hmm. done. You know, if, I, if I'm going to come back and look at it now, because I see three or four possibilities for completely different stories that, mm -hmm. you know, where it kind of felt more like uh, when you're playing a, a video game and you have side quests. Mm -hmm. All right. It felt very side questy. Like a side quest. Yeah. Like a, a movie full of side quests. <laughs> yeah. I can understand that. Yeah, for sure. It's like, I know we were really concerned about all this other stuff, but let's go to a casino planet now. And let's like, do like it was the story of Ray and Luke Skywalker plus a lot of side quests. <laughs> yeah. It's like, maybe, yeah. maybe focus. But, but I, yeah, I have, to, uh, I have to think about the risk on a larger scale. Like Lucas was taking risks right from the beginning, you know, in what he did with Princess Leia in the first film, in leaving Han you know in frozen in carbonite at the end of his the second film you know just risks all over the place you know the the ewoks were a big risk um so i feel like this whole franchise has been about let's put it out there um and let's see what happens you know if it feels right to the creators and the directors and it feels like a star wars film then you know it becomes part of the the franchise and then people decide for themselves whether the risk was something that was useful to the universe or completely distracting <laughs> from the universe but i think every risk has extended the universe in some way yeah no i would agree with you i would absolutely agree with you on that I, uh, you know, and like I said, it's, you have a lot of different voices right now who are contributing and telling different stories too. Yeah. 
where you're not getting one person's vision uh, and like the sort of thing where it's like, well, this is what he wanted. And is this what Lucas would have wanted? Like the same thing I think the Star Trek people have when they're talking about Gene Roddenberry, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of times it was like, oh, well, this is Gene's vision and this is how this was <laughs> yeah. and different aspects of it. But, you know, like at some point in time, you are moving forward and you're telling different stories. And that's yes. the thing. It's, it's been so much of the same kind of story Mm, that yes. I would like to see someone do a buddy cop kind of film, like ah, a yeah, yeah, in that genre. I would like to see a who done it, uh huh, uh huh, in that genre. <laughs> you know, yeah, like use the setting, but tell a, a type of story that we haven't told there before. Like tell a horror story mm-hmm. there. You know, do any of those kind of things. You know, but you know, just just stick to uh, those aspects of how we're doing it. I remember reading the novels in the 90s and some of the authors took it down those roads. I There was one that just definitely followed a Western feel uh, and another one that, you know, was completely about solving a mystery uh, and you know, things like that. So I, that was, you know, the novelist really brought it to the table to do that uh, back in the 90s for sure. I had a massive <laughs> collection of novels on a shelf in the 90s <laughs> and I and I will admit that even though yes I did see the films and I had the toys and I played the games I was a fan but I wasn't a mega fan of Star Wars until the 90s until someone handed me Heir to the Empire and said you have to read this book and I, I just was like this is amazing and then it became three books and I was like, oh, someone make this into a movie, please. But then all of us who went through that were incredibly delighted when its key antagonist, Thrawn, was brought to, into the canon universe uh, as part of Star Wars Rebels in recent years. And now the new Thrawn books that Timothy's on has been commissioned to go back and and write uh are now considered part of uh that universe so it's very inspiring to see that even though it's legends it may not always be legends (laughs) there's still people like us like dave filoni like john favreau who grew up with the legends and want to still bring the best of legends back into canon and i that makes me hopeful yeah they could choose the stuff they really like and mm-hmm. and do something with it for sure mm-hmm. yeah i'm sure you're, you're on your other podcast now that the clone wars is over you guys are going to have a huge discussion about that last episode so oh yes i'm reserving some recording time tomorrow uh for for eric and i to start uh deconstructing how we felt about the last three episodes uh time has not been on our side for recording uh every week um but now you know everything's out and we can put it out on the table and contemplate how we feel about it it definitely for me was a very emotional (laughs) thing yesterday uh when i watched it for sure I didn't read a lot of the books in the 90s, you know, like I read the mm-hmm. first one of the Thrawn novels when it came yeah. out. Mm-hmm. I remember that being like such a big deal of them like saying, you know, now it's the officially, you know, sanctioned 
and all that's of course legends <laughs> now, you know. But at the yeah, time, yeah. I, big, I was like, I walked into like the B. Dalton bookseller at the mall, you know, and there it was, and all the guys there. It's officially, you know, approved <laughs> by Lucas. Well, apparently I got it. it doesn't mean very much. Yeah, I got a chance to um, go to a, a a panel at DragonCon in which Timothy Zahn was there, as well as some of the other people who had contributed to uh, Star Wars written content. And he's just very frank and, you know, it's a job. And yeah, I enjoyed making the characters and, um, and I enjoy, you know, doing this kind of work and, and seeing my characters getting those recognition. Uh, he's certainly proud of the fact that Thrawn was brought into Rebels, but at the same time, it's still, you know, stuff that he writes based on commission, based on, you know, it, we need this novel written and, and here's the kind of uh, things that we're looking for. So, so what he's writing is, you know, something that he's been asked to write as opposed to something he's just sitting down and being inspired to write uh, just just because uh so there there's a, a sense of reality there in that you know he's in a creative space so he's still going to a, a universe and creating but he has an anchor point as well uh that he's basing it off of and i think that's what we see mostly in the lucasfilm group now like uh the the novelists that they're working with now they're giving them time to discuss as a group where they want to take the story on a broader sense. And they're then going back into their own corners with that anchor point and creating, creating the story uh, that works with the broader plan of where they want the larger Star Wars universe to go. Uh, so it's almost like novel writing, structured novel writing. I don't know how else to say it. I would agree with all of that. Mm. You know, what's funny is this May 4th phenomenon right mm. now. And your, uh, your reason for wanting to talk about that with me today. Mm. You know, and I do a lot of work in the wedding industry. And uh -huh. now when people set up a booking for May 4th and it's a, uh, on a weekend for a wedding, you know, one of the first things out of my mouth is, is this a Star Wars thing? <laughs> yeah, because typically the Kentucky Derby also runs, you know, when you're not yeah, in a COVID-19. So, right, yeah, right, right. It, it tends to run about the same time. So I've seen like, I've seen weddings where they have like weird mashups of the Kentucky Derby and Star Wars stuff. It doesn't make <laughs> any sense whatsoever. <laughs> We're racing like, tauntauns and uh <laughs> it's, it's more like it's like the bride wanted this like derby thing and the mm -hmm. groom was like no yay star wars or <laughs> you know like and they just decided to do both at the same time and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense you know where there's That's like adorable weird, weird combination of things or you know we had one where uh one of the groomsmen actually wore a Chewbacca mask, you know, out like during the ceremony, like when they walked out for that on the May 4th, which was pretty funny. Wow. Putting it together. <laughs> I, 
I, how I, it's become. I, yeah, I mean, like I've admitted to thinking about it. I've thought about it, you know. <laughs> I, I admit. <laughs> it's it's definitely one of the more doable theme weddings that, that people we see people do the stuff for. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually had somebody uh, there. You know, they've done a lot of the scores. I mean, and the John Williams scores are beautiful for ceremony mm-hmm. music. Yeah. You know, uh, it, a lot of people have used that. I, one of the funnier things, I had somebody for their uh, sparkler exit from their reception. They picked the Mego, uh, Miko, the Mego or toys, Miko, uh, <laughs> the Star Wars themed disco. That oh, was released yeah. in the 70s. They used to play it like skate nights for kids, you know, yes. they play like the Star Wars movie. But it would be like this like disco-fied version of it that they did. Love they also it. did an Empire Strikes Back version of it. But yeah, like that's in the set where it's, you know. I've danced to uh, hustle to that before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that very much like for people who grew up in the Triangle area, there was a place called Skate Town that used to be on Glenwood. On Glenwood. People, yeah. Yep. Now it's like all like furniture stores and things <laughs> like that now. But like back then, and that's where you would have, uh, a lot of people would have their kid birthday parties there. And mm. and the guy would play, like especially for kid parties, that, that, that Miko version of the Star Wars theme all the time. And that's when they would turn down the lights. You'd have the disco ball going during it. You know, mm-hmm. the, you know like so he, it's very much a, a Gen X growing up <laughs> experience. <laughs> Such yeah. good memories. We might have to do a whole episode on like birthday party themes. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. You know, like skating or Chuck E. Cheese or McDonald's. We used to do like birthdays. Oh, yeah, the McDonald's and, one. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> All those things were much more readily available than they are now. Well, cool. So, Thinking about that new trilogy when it came out, and we called it the new trilogy in 1999. Um, Up to that point, I had been subscribing to the Star Wars uh, magazine, like the fan magazine. Yeah. And so as they were planning these new movies, they kept putting articles in the magazine about who was cast in the roles and uh, what their plans were for the the movie and they would give us these sneak previews you know long before we had the internet to be able to (laughs) to do that kind of research but so I was anticipating uh, the film quite a bit Um, the Phantom Menace when it came out uh, we were calling the new trilogy at least in the circles I was in um, now we would call it the prequel trilogy because we have more (laughs) that came after Uh, how did that hit you how did the first film hit you tell me about your experience as a Gen Xer going through that experience I was managing uh, a comic book shop in Charleston South Carolina Mm -hmm. and right there at the end because before they hit those they had kind of hit us with nostalgia by re-releasing all of the original trilogy through theaters yeah so like they were doing like special toy offers and you know and like giveaways and you know and people were getting rabid about it again Mm -hmm. from from the previous time when we talked about how we both knew a bass player from edwin mccain and Mm -hmm. i knew uh, scott vanovich and he was collecting a lot at that time in fact the local news in Charleston, when the stuff was building up, had me on television since I was managing that store to kind of talk about the fandom. Oh. And uh, 
Yeah, it, it was like three or four times when I was managing that store, they had me on like whatever was hot, they wanted me to talk about it. So it was like they had that, it was like Pokemon at one point in time, <laughs> a few other things. But what was great was the first time they had me on to talk about it, like under my name on the screen, it wrote, it had like Frankie Hagen, Star Wars fanatic. Under it. <laughs> And I actually called the station back and I was like, you think you could take that off and not say Star Wars fanatic? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, I'm certainly talking about it and I'm enthusiastic, but yeah. And then you know, I feel like it was a little bit of a, a letdown in some ways because of the way he was kind of portraying the story. And it was definitely aimed more towards a younger audience. And I don't think the, the older fans were as prepared for that. And there was a lot of fun yeah. elements to it. I mean, it's very much a fun kids movie when you go back and, and look at it from that. But also, like, as far as following up on what he had done already with archetypes and things from mm -hmm. the first trilogy, you know, it doesn't follow the formula very well. And mm -hmm. if you're really going to do it, like, if you're going to get biblical, then you're going to basically have to say that Luke Skywalker is David and that Darth Vader would be King Saul. Mm. You know? And if you're going to do it that way, you kind of need to tell the story that way and not take it back to him being a little kid. Right, because like biblically, when King Saul's introduced, he like comes in like a hero, like out of the field working with the men when they introduce the character. You know what I mean? He's mm -hmm. more of a much rugged character when he's introduced into like uh, scriptural type stuff. And I think if they had kind of probably kept more with that kind of format and kind of uh, followed the archetypes, they probably would have been better off. You know, regardless of you know like how much of an age bracket change you're making. Because even though the first ones for, were for kids as well, I mean, I don't think it was aimed that directly that way. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. It was more of a broad based, you know, eat popcorn, kind of kind of everybody have a good time kind of film. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I remember the anticipation and we did see like an opening night uh, viewing of it. Uh, the the people that i went with uh back then and i remember you know the i i felt like i had a lot to digest after i saw it i liked it but i didn't love it and i couldn't quite put my finger on it until quite some time later uh i i feel like like you said it was aimed at kids so there was a lot of things that would be great as a kid's film but by then I was already in my 20s and ready to have something new. And, uh, and I'm not sure what I was expecting either, because I will say it does have one of the best lightsaber fights ever made uh, <laughs> between Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon Jinn, and uh, Darth Maul. And look uh, at what we've done with Darth Maul since then. I mean, oh, yes, absolutely. Many minutes in that film and mm -hmm. not they really didn't use him that much in the great scheme of things in the movie and he's had this mm -hmm. massive afterlife and all of the other sanctioned material yeah absolutely i remember it making the shift in that movie from luke skywalker being my absolute favorite character ever to it being obi-wan because phantom menace did provide obi-wan kenobi background that we never had before through uh, Ewan McGregor, who I, you know, was certainly attracted to <laughs> at that time. So it was great to see uh, the Obi-Wan Kenobi story 
uh, being told there. Sure, we're getting Anakin Skywalker as well. And I'm like you, I feel like if we had started somewhere later in his life, uh, after he had been through a little bit more of, you know, if the childhood was done, I think it would have been a better starting point for that character. But the way they were doing it, I, I think, I'm, I'm not so sure they could have done that effectively um, and still been able to capture some of the backstory they were trying to put together for Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, we'll see what Netflix does with that. I'm looking forward to it. There was a uh, more recent novel from uh, John Jackson Miller, one of my favorite authors from comic era, because he did uh, some comic stories uh, around a Jedi Knight who didn't quite become a Jedi uh, because <laughs> when he was a Padawan, everyone turned on him. And there, there was a great story there. But as an author, I really appreciated how he developed his characters. And when he had the opportunity to do an Obi-Wan Kenobi novel, I'm like, I'm there. I am so, you know, you've got one of my favorite authors in the Star Wars uh, franchise, plus uh, my favorite character. I want to see what he's done with it. And it turned out really good. He went with a classic Western setup. Like when you're reading the story or if you listen to it on audiobook, it's just called Kenobi. Uh, by John Jackson Miller. And it is a Western, essentially. And what I was really hoping as I was getting to the close of that book was that we would see something like this on film, because I thought it would make a wonderful film. Uh, and I've even mentioned, you know, I've mentioned it to him directly, uh, when I've had the opportunity to like either uh, be in a AMA with him or uh, on a you know, ask him on a panel. Um, but he's like, oh, well, I can't talk about anything I might be doing in the future, you know, because he can't. <laughs> but, and, and, you know, I, when you hear that, it's like, oh, does that mean he's actually in talks for something? This would be awesome. Uh, but I would, you know, I would appreciate seeing his story as part of what we're going to see for Kenobi, uh, for the Kenobi production. So, yeah, that would be cool. That would be wonderful. Uh, that that Western theme, and that's when when uh, Mandalorian came out recently. It was following that same type of feel of that story. So I think Kenobi would fit in real really well with modern audiences that are being drawn to the Mandalorian as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's got it's got that imprint of uh, Samurai Jack all over it too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and Gary Tartofsky, if I'm saying his name right, you know it's Gary very... Tartofsky. Yeah. Yeah, that how all that's being put together, which, I mean, he left Samurai Jack to do Clone Wars in the first place, so. Mm -hmm, right, mm -hmm. I, I have that one. I, I thought that was a beautiful uh, production. Asajj Ventress, um, that character, you know, the first time I saw her, her would have been in Gindy Tartakovsky's Clone Wars. And, uh, and I thought bringing her into the Clone Wars TV series uh, was a wonderful touch. Um, she turned out to be a really good character. They they created a nice dynamic arc for her uh, across the series. And so she became one of my favorite characters in that series, for sure. The problem with this topic is your passion level is super, super high. <laughs> it's terrible. I'm so sorry, Frankie. I'm so no, sorry. No, <laughs> I mean, there's just there's too many things you could, you could say about it, too many different areas. Yeah, it really is. You know, in terms of just the stuff that's on the surface and mm -hmm. the deeper dives and 
Yeah. That it's like we'll have to mark certain things to come back to talk about at some particular point in time because you know mm-hmm. it's like there's so much. <laughs> yes. You get it. We'll put a pin in that. <laughs> you know, I remember yeah. I, I still have like a minor scar from me and my brother having lightsaber fights wearing our bathrobes. Oh. Pretending oh. to be guys. Yes. We used yeah. the yardsticks because we had yardsticks around the house. They became our swords and lightsabers and stuff. Me and my oh, brother. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there's so much of that kind of thing that you can even touch base on. But mm. but now to to celebrate um, <laughs> these unofficial holidays that we've created for ourselves, like this <laughs> this week of, of May fourth and mm-hmm. and uh, and how that affects us pop culture wise. I wonder, you know, because like my daughter who's 14 and you know like and she's watched the more recent films with me and she's just like yeah that's okay mm. you know mm. it's 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 not it's not necessarily like this uh, cultural zeitgeist for them mm-hmm. yeah right. and and i feel like 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 so many things it you know because it's like uh people you know you go do weddings and when i started doing weddings there was still people who appreciated you know the world war ii era artists yeah, and now yeah. you get asked for that it's people who are into jazz or swing music specifically mm. because that generation is basically gone mm-hmm. and now the blue hair music you know like the old lady <laughs> music are, is basically somebody coming up and asking you for like the beatles and the stones and stuff from <laughs> that kind of thing. wow you gotta that's think amazing of, that's yeah. the old old people music now and then <laughs> you know before long the 70s stuff is going to be the old old people you know mm-hmm. music yeah. from from a sense of perspective that you know like oh you, you know to where like getting someone to watch a star wars film with you is gonna be like hey you want to watch these old humphrey bogart movies with me you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> or something like that because it is it's a very specific yeah. thing but it's got legs to it you know and that's the thing with anything that keeps reinventing itself and, and changing mm-hmm. it for a period of time where almost becomes like its own religion like it's a pantheon you know, that the people can kind of go back and reflect on, and you know, if the stories are that important, you know, like almost like biblical type stuff, then they, they get mm-hmm. something out of it. At one point in time, Facebook let you choose Jedi as your religion. You That's know? awesome. It should be, right? <laughs> there you go. I am one with the force and the force is with me. No, if, if hey, somebody goes out there what and- is the standard response to may the force be with you, right? May the force be with you. And then you'll hear people who grew up in high church who did the the call response stuff a lot as part of their religion will say, and also with you. And also with <laughs> like, you, you know, like the Catholic kind of thing. Right? <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't a natural thing for me. That was not how I grew up. But I've seen people do it. And it's like, oh, that that's great. That's just great. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, I do love it. And seeing it through a Gen Xer's eye is interesting because I say I, I'm seeing it through a Gen Xer's eye, but I'm seeing it still just through my eyes because there are people our age out there who have become so passionate objecting to everything new in Star Wars because it's not their classic Star Wars. And I'm like, you know, I don't know. Why, why be so stubborn? Why? Is it just because you didn't like it? Or is it just because it wasn't what you wanted? You know? I, I always have to ask that question. Uh, it, it's legitimate to like and not like something. 
but not to discredit the creator entirely because you didn't like it because you know and so i like chill take a chill pill yeah. uh let yeah, let new creators here. play in the universe and <laughs> well well now you have too many ways that people can have opinions about everything you know they can this is true. they can go on you know for a while it was just chat rooms and what you know as opposed to groups that would be getting together you know sitting around at a bar drinking and now mm-hmm. and now twitter you get like a an enraged angry version of every opinion <laughs> and reddit oh my goodness reddit. yeah that's <laughs> For sure. So that does color everything a little bit too. Yeah. But the good stuff always comes to the top and is always remembered. So mm-hmm. it's true. I remember dressing up in like the little plastic mask uh, and plastic um, Halloween costumes that came in the box where the mask was like through a little uh, see through window on the front of the box. And, you know, they'd have Star Wars themed costumes <laughs> along with the, all the other ones uh, that we had as kids. And I remember going to the store and picking out the costume, you know, you know, and you'd see this rows and rows of these boxes with masks staring out at you. <laughs> oh, yeah. And those were great. The little the elastic string popping onto the back of your head. <laughs> yes getting caught in your hair yeah. <laughs> for some of us. <laughs> Those are great. You know, I had, like, talking about canon, I had a real problem with the fact that in the E.T. movie, they dressed up E.T. like uh, Yoda, you uh, know, for Halloween. Mm-hmm. But then later yeah. on, they put actual E.T.s in the Star Wars movie. <laughs> yes. I thought that was great. It was yeah. just like, it was such a nod to, you know, those who grew up with the original films and seeing you know the other things that were coming around at the same time yeah it is something okay (laughs) well i know we should probably put a pin in this (laughs) i think so i appreciate it frankie this has been fun i i mean it's it's a topic like i said that i could talk about a lot outside of the context of gen x but i really wanted to bring out how we experience things absolutely that was unique to us and i really appreciate it thank you for tuning into this throwbacks episode of gen x replays after the show podcast to follow frankie between shows look for him at dance frankie h on twitter as frankie hagan on facebook and at his dance instructor or real estate website dancefrankie.com and frankiehagan.com to follow me between shows, look for at Stephanie Does VO on Twitter and Instagram, and Jacory on YouTube and Twitch. I'll put this info and lots of other fun links in the description for this episode. Subscribe here so you don't miss our next Throwbacks episode and our other after-the-show discussions. And help us boost the signal on this podcast by sharing it with friends. Currently, we host at Anchor.fm and aggregate to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Until next episode, be safe out there.